little slow on the draw today. Well, this is a pivotal time. As we move throughout the Epiphany season and come to an end this morning, we move from consideration of Jesus' miracles to his parables. You heard it, at least one, perhaps one of the more famous, if not the most famous, of Jesus' teachings. And it's that where we're going to focus our attention. Lord Jesus, so open our hearts to hear your word. And Holy Spirit, help it find a place, not only in our hearts, but the truth in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Last week, it was Pastor Don Sandman who was here. Remember, our visitation pastor for the last five years. I'm not sure how, but he remembered the first time when I came here and I introduced myself and stood at this place and said, folks, I'm not a peripatetic pastor. You know, one who walks around all over the place and maybe even wanders a bit. Not a peripatetic pastor. And he said, you know, he believed and still did that I have this thing for alliteration. You know, when you string words together and they all start with the same letter, like P's, peripatetic pastor, or today, pivotal, pivotal proverbs. Pivot, you know, you know that about basketball, right, guys? You play and you have a pivot foot. It's planted. And with that foot stationary, you can begin to twist and turn to avoid your opponent and maybe even get a clear shot. It's a turning point. Well, Jesus' parables are turning points, turning from popular understanding to God's understanding of things. And because it's pivotal, there's that other sense of meaning to the word pivotal. In other words, it's crucial, it's critical, and it's central. Like C's, more alliteration. Jesus told stories, and with those stories, he turned people around with things that were very critical, very central, very, very crucial. By the way, today is transfiguration. That's why the white, as I called attention to the colors this morning, that was a celebration of Jesus. It was a pivotal point in his life on earth where people had gathered and followed him thinking, well, he's a good teacher, he's a good man. But he took three of his disciples up on a mountain and he turned their hearts and their minds to recognize he wasn't only that, but he was the very son of God. God himself, as he glowed, glowed with the brilliance of God himself. Today, what you heard Pastor Sean read a few moments ago was a pivotal point with the parable that Jesus told, often called the prodigal son. Prodigal son, extravagant. But you know, there wasn't only one prodigal in this parable. I believe there were three, three prodigals. And those are all important to the story as Jesus told it. The first and most remembered prodigal is that younger son. The younger son who came to his father and said, give me my inheritance. You understand what he was asking? He was saying, 
what he was saying actually was, Dad, I, I wish you were dead so I could have what you have. He was saying, I'm not so much interested in you, Father, or in a relationship with you, Father. I want the stuff you have to give me. Because, you see, inheritances come when someone dies. And this son couldn't wait. He wanted it, and he wanted it now. Dissatisfied, disrespectful, and demanding. Did you notice? No please, no thank you, no appreciation, just give me. Give me what I have coming to me. And he was also prodigal in his behavior, this younger son. What did he do? But he took it all and he went off in prodigal, extravagant living. Spending on himself, that's what extravagance is on the negative side having fun, having parties, spending it on whatever. No wonder he's called the prodigal son. Extravagant in his bad behavior, carousing, loose living, wasted, reckless kinds of practices, reckless kind of time. But then there's also the father we heard about. The father who's very different he was extravagant nonetheless, but not in a negative kind of way, but in a very positive light. It was the father who received that younger son, and when it was demanded of him that he give his inheritance, the younger son's share, he simply did it. Extravagant, beyond understanding, well over the top, that's exactly what the father did. And later, later as things unfolded, it was a prodigal father that welcomed that son home after his negative prodigal living. That extravagant nature of the younger son that took him far away from a relationship and close to all kinds of raucousness in his own life. A father looking for his son, waiting for his son, and seeing him runs to his son with open arms and with a kiss. Over the top, extravagant love of that father. He ran, he restored, he reclaimed. More alliteration. But then, then there's that son number two, who's really son number one. He's the older of the two. Prodigal? Extravagant? Really? How do I see that? Well, again, in the negative light. That son was extravagant in his refusals, of his anger, of focusing on his brother and wanting nothing to do with him, thinking that their father was over the top in welcoming that younger son back into the fold. And when the party was thrown, he wanted nothing to do with it. More than that, he was ready to complain. And he whined, you never gave me such a party. Hey, and I've always been with you. I never got that kind of treatment. The royal robe, the ring, the new clothes, the sandals, the big shebang of a party. 
he whined, I've been slaving for you all this time. That tells you something about his attitude and relationship with his father. I've been slaving and I've never disobeyed you. When this son of yours comes back, did you catch it? This son of yours. He didn't say when my brother comes back. He said your son. He too, negatively prodigal, separating himself at this point in a relationship with his brother and with his father. That's the story. What's it all about? When Jesus tells a story, we've got to think hard at two levels. We have to think and understand what it meant to the people who first heard it. And we need to remember the audience. The audience who listened to what Jesus had to say. It was a mixed audience of two kinds of people. There were, on the one hand, religious leaders, and there were, on the other hand, Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles, the chosen people of God, and as they considered the dogs, the people outside of God's love, the people who don't deserve it, the people who have no right to the inheritance that God has offered, undeserving. Well, what about us at this point? Do you at all see yourself as part, in some way, the younger son? Often among us, we read this parable, we talk about, we study it, and that's where we focus and stop. Don't do those bad things. Don't live like that negatively prodigal son. And when someone speaks to you or to me, we say, don't be like that. Don't live foolishly, extravagantly. And sometimes that's all we hear. And sometimes the story stops there. But that's not where Jesus stopped the story. We can, and perhaps we need to identify as Jesus' audience did at this point. But the father, well, the father is an understandable character both to the people back then and to us today. The father, obviously kind and caring, obviously warm and wanting a relationship, even a renewed relationship with the prodigal son and forgiving to be sure. And this rings true even as early Christians would learn this story, they thought and understood what St. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, which you heard, let me repeat. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we got it all together. Not when we think we're fine. But when we acknowledge, when we know that we've wandered and left home without him. But then there's also the older son. The original audience, and this is interesting, of those two groups. Who do you think identified, or Jesus wanted to identify, with that older, stuck-up, angry son? but the religious leaders, to be sure. They were refusing God's love for the others. 
for the sinners, as they called them, for those who were Gentiles. They were stuck on their own good behavior and separated themselves and say, we're the good guys. That's where the love needs to be directed. Not that extravagant love for those who disobey you. They would have understood this as Jesus told the parable and got to its end. And you know, that's where the punchline is. And that's exactly where Jesus stopped the parable and where those religious leaders had to think. For us, is there an identification with the older son? Well, you know what? You've got to think about that. I can't tell you what your life is like, what your attitude and what your heart is full of. This is where Jesus leaves you and me to apply, to apply this story to ourselves. The point, the point is important of what Jesus told. And there's a couple of points, but there's not just one. It's not just a matter of don't be prodigal in the bad sense. And it's not just about that. It centers the three characters in the father's love. Younger son, older son, loving, extravagant father. There's a book about this parable called The Waiting Father. And you remember the story, he was waiting and looking for that lost son. He was anxious and when he saw him, he went to greet him. Fathers don't run to their children in those days. But this father did, and he welcomed him with a warm heart upon that son's repentance. The three parables that Jesus told one after the other, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The lost son, like those other two things, an animal and a coin were lost. Even more important, more valuable was that son. Repentance, returning is what is all about Jesus' parable. And here's the big question. The big question for you is, where do you identify? With whom of those three characters do you see yourself, connect, and understand? The younger prodigal, is that you? In the midst of having run away, perhaps that's in the past, is the younger son you as you listen and think about this story? And have you had a Jesus moment, so to speak? Or are you waiting for one when the light of God's grace goes on and you return to him prayerfully? Or think about this. Do you identify with the Father and that gracious love? Maybe even while you, while you struggle with a daughter who's gone astray, a son, a grandchild, and you've wondered, is my heart big enough? Is my love extravagant enough to welcome home that one? Or have I done that? Another place to identify. Or do you identify with the older of the two sons? Focus on what you deserve. Focus on being the good one as opposed to those who aren't. At least better than the others and therefore more deserving of God's extravagant love. Seeking and even, even expecting 
because of us and our behavior, that God would love us and God would treat us well. Perhaps as a Christian who's been with God all through your life, it is difficult. As you've read stories and heard them about someone on their deathbed, someone late in life coming to faith, and it's like that person gets heaven too. That person gets God's love in abundance as well as me. Think about that if you connect there. The parable, it's pivotal. Not only turning our understandings, but also crucial, also critical, also central in what it means to be God's child. Because it's all about grace. It is about God's love undeserved. Jesus redirects people's focus to that very thing. It's a pivot. It's a pivotal parable. God's prodigal extravagant love. And we've seen that. It was so prodigal, so extravagant, that he sent us his son, not just a messenger, but his own son. And it was prodigal for Jesus. His love overflowed, not just for a few, but for many, for everyone. That was critical, crucial, and central to what he is all about as well. Welcoming us all. He lived for us. He died for us. He had prodigal love. He was a sign of it. And he's the source of it among us. He was willing and he came to earth. He demonstrated and he demonstrates acceptance to all. And he died in our place. You see, that's what Jesus' parables are all about. To see ourselves, to see him and God's rule within our hearts. Pointed, pivotal, profound, and plain if we think about it. That's the last of my alliterations for today, but not the last of God's love.